open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Now, so far, I hope that you've seen that that, uh, Paul's writing to a church he's never been to before, but he knows from Epaphras that, that it is a church that that they know the gospel, they love the gospel, um, the gospel is evident in their life because um, when Paul writes, he says, I, I see, I've heard about your faith and how it's showing itself in love and in hope. And, and so Paul is so encouraged by that, but what's happening is that you've got these people that are coming in and they're trying to tell this church, this new church, that they need more than the gospel. Now, I don't, I don't know how else, you know, I, I tried to explain to you that sometimes, you know, people will try, they tried that with me. If I didn't know how to do this in the spirit and if I didn't, you know, know all these, um, uh, you know, if I didn't have the gift of tongues and all that, for the for many years, I always stepped back to this certain group of gals, and I loved them. But I always stepped back as I thought, oh, you know, they're they're far more into it than me, and I don't, I don't. And I am starting to see that um, the scriptures do not talk about that. You have to. What they were saying is exactly what Colossians two was talking about. What Paul is saying. You got to be careful. People are going to try to say that that you're not that what you have is not enough. That what you they're going to try to maybe intimidate you or to try to get you to think that that uh, you're not good enough. And then what does that do? What does that do? You step back and you keep your mouth shut. And and uh, and I've discovered that a lot of these things that this group of gals was the, what they were doing to me was. They were trying to add to, and it's not even it's not even in the non-disputable. It's not even in the non-negotiable. It was things that they made up. Now, I know about the gifts of the Spirit, but not everybody has all the gifts of the Spirit. So, you know, the things that they were trying to say to me and, and do to me, I didn't even know that that's exactly, all, all of a sudden, this week it all came together, and I thought, that's, that's what they were doing. They were trying to make me feel that, that my story was not enough. And look what we have seen from Romans and we've seen from Colossians from Colossians that Paul said, yes, you are qualified. You've been through Romans from chapter one through, you have the story. It, you have salvation. You, you know what Jesus did for you. You know what he's coming back for. Yeah, you know the gospel. You know the whole gospel. That's all you need. It's your story. It's enough to be able to tell somebody else. And then the rest, as you go, then the Holy Spirit takes over. And then you grow and you expand and you bloom and you mature and all those kinds of things. But what he's trying to say to this church, what I really saw that he was saying to me, is that, you know, be careful because people are going to come and try to throw you off. They're going to try to intimidate. They're going to try to get you to think that that maybe you don't have what it takes. Maybe you don't have the personality. You don't have all the verses down. You don't know all the references. What Paul is saying, if you have a story, then that's enough. You are qualified You are filled with goodness, he said. You're filled with his knowledge. You are 
filled with him. And see, this is what was throwing this church off. And Epaphras said, you know what? Paul, write him. Write him and tell him. See, because I was, another thing I was confused about for a little bit is when he was giving them so many compliments. And he was saying, oh, you know, every time Timothy and I pray for you, we're so thankful for you. And he was giving them so many compliments. And I thought, well, how come you were giving them so many compliments? And then, then they were being sidetracked by this group of people. And I thought, yeah, that's exactly it. He's saying to them, you have all you need. You've got the story. You've got the gospel. It's changing your life. And that change comes now day by day, step by step. Don't ever let anybody come in here and say that you are not qualified, that you are not good enough. Because your salvation in Jesus is enough. So that's why he was complimenting. He said, you've got it. I'm so proud of you. I'm so, I'm so glad to hear about all what you're doing and what I've been hearing. But don't let somebody, because, you know, that's why I prayed what I did tonight, that we have to just so make sure that we're so close to him and that we are all constantly studying, that we are growing, because how are we going to know the difference between these false teachers that come in? Because, boy, they're slick. What did he call them? They're, they're fine-tuned. They're, they're, you know, they've got the words down. And, you know, before you know it, you're thinking, whoa. And you start stepping back. And they're starting to come in. I mean, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you the truth. This one group of girls, I, I, was, I was singing one night, and I was singing the simple hymn in the garden. And the group of girls, and they, they were on the floor laughing. They were just rolling, laughing. And I didn't think In the Garden was a real funny song. And they're just laughing. And so afterwards, they said, what in the world are you doing? So oh, we were just laughing in the spirit. Now, did you ever find that in here? But you know what? That didn't last long. That laughing in the spirit didn't last long. You know, and a lot of these things that they start making up and, 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 you know, she used to say to me, she says, oh, Linnell, you know, you, you've got such a good start. And then we used to do this little program together and I did a little Bible study and then she would always have to come on afterwards to like, well, now I'll, I'll finish it off. And I would listen to that and I'd think, now where did you find that? And this is, I never until this week did I really put all the pieces together. And I thought, that's what they were doing. They were adding. It's just like what, what Paul was saying. This group of people was coming, were coming in well, with all of their additives. Jesus and, but then you need this. You need, the, you need to be able to do this. And you need to be able to do this. Oh, boy. No, I don't know how to do that. Or that's not that's the gift I've been given. Oh, but you need it. And, you know, oh, I just wish that I could see those girls again and say, now you show me in here where all that, where all that, where you made up all that stuff. Where in, where in the Bible does it say that I have to speak in tongues or I don't, God, I don't have it? According to Paul, it's not a gift that everybody has. In fact, it's the least of the gifts. Because according to Paul, he says, why would I want to talk in, in a language no one understands? 
You know, it's, it's just, and then Paul said, and I'm telling you, if you do have that gift, you better make sure that you've got somebody who's got the gift of interpretation or what is the, what's the big deal. Then who's it all about anyway? Yeah. Do you notice that? That's very sneaky, isn't it? Isn't that sneaky and tricky? How in this hall, this false humility and all this that he's talking about, be careful of all that false humility. You know, in the middle of all that is a big fat S-E-L-F in the name of Jesus. And Paul says, I'm just warning you because you can be confident that if you know Jesus and you know the gospel and you've experienced it, don't get blown away by people who come in and they just seem to be so godly. But if, if you can't find it in here, anytime a red flag or you feel uneasy, all of a sudden, you know, you think, oh, I don't know. I don't ever remember reading that in there. You should always check things with scripture. And the more I checked what they talked about, I cannot find it. And they tried to throw me off for so many years. Hmm. Hope you don't mind. I just had to get that off my chest. <laughs> and I just love the way he talked about, too. You know, he talked about why go back to that old way of going back to those 613 laws that, that no one could keep them all anyway. What was the number? 248 do you do? You have to do this, you have to do that. And there was 365 and don't do that and don't do that. You know, I always said if I lived in the Old Testament and I had to follow those 613, I probably wouldn't even want to get up in the morning because it's, it's an endless, it's a hopeless thing. But that's what they lived in. They could never, they could never obey it fully. They'll, then they always had to sacrifice and Jesus fulfilled that. Someone asked me this week, what's the difference between those six? 613 laws that Jesus fulfilled in the Ten Commandments. And I said, that's a good question. The commandments are called commandments for a reason. And whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, these are the commandments that he says, I want to finish you in with. But those little picky uni laws, a lot of them, a lot of them, the Pharisees added to, and it just was out of control. And, and Jesus said, I fulfilled all that. I want you to live in freedom. Why would you even want to go back to you? Can't do this, you can't do that. When instead, Jesus said, I've set you free. All right. Since then, since then, you have been raised with Christ. This is such a good chapter. It's like, all right, he settles in now. Now that he's made his points and he's really got them taken a look at, you know, he's, he's even gone back and said, come on, he rescued you. You know he rescued you and he redeemed you. This is what he wants you to live in. You've been rescued. You've been reconciled. You've been redeemed. Those, those words Paul used. And then he says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Because, because you have been rescued and because you've been reconciled and because you've been redeemed, he said, you have been raised with Christ. 
Remember last week we used, he used the word baptism and burial to give us the idea of the old self goes down in the water or down in the ground and you come up new in Christ. Old things are gone. Behold, all things become new. You died to self. You were raised in him. It's no longer I that lives. It's Christ that lives in me. Now that all makes sense. And Paul is saying, this is, this is all you need to know. You've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things. Okay, now he says, I want you to start, I want you to start readjusting. I want you to start re readjusting your priorities in your eyes. I want you to start looking toward I want you to set your hearts on, on things above. Why does he have to say that? Why does he say, now, since then, now that you've been raised with Christ and he's changing you and you got, it's no longer you, you are not tied anymore to what? You're not tied to yourself. You're not tied to your sins. You're not even tied to this earth. You are not you are not tied to materialism. He said, I want you to start loosening your grip. Now, if he, why does he have to tell us this? Because again, where are we naturally? What do we naturally want to cling to? Our own self and, and in this world and this life, we naturally do. We naturally want to cling to this life. And he's saying, now I'm trying to get you to see because there's so much more than this life. So start setting your hearts on things that are above. I want you to start letting go a little bit of this life. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Yeah. Let's start thinking about that place. Start thinking about that there's more to life than this. I think when you start letting go a little bit here, when you start lessening up, you start watching that peace, peace, wonderful peace, and you start complying to in his time, he makes all things beautiful, and that his will is perfect, and that he, it, you start relaxing to that truth. It is really beautiful to watch somebody. I have to, and it, if you think of me this weekend, I'm just going to pray the Lord brings me to your mind this weekend because I have to go up in the UP and I have to do a women's conference in Sault Ste. Marie. And there's quite a few hundred women that are coming and I have to speak four times, four times, Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night, Sunday morning. And I have to speak on, this is the theme of the weekend. Are you ready for the return of the Lord? You think that's quite a... Oh, am I ready? Oh, am I ready? All four times I'm ready. I cannot wait. But in one of mine, in, in, on Saturday night, on Saturday night, 
I'm going to be using examples. This is what it looks like to be ready. This is what, and I'm going to take, I'm going into God's word, and I'm going to take a look at, I'm going to have these ladies take a look at Stephen. I'm going to have these ladies take a look at Paul. And the apostle John. I mean, you know, at the end of Revelation, remember when, uh, what did John say? What did John say? Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Come, come, Lord Jesus. I'm going to talk about Fanny Crosby. So I'm going to start with Steve and take some biblical characters. I'm going to do Fanny Crosby, but I'm going to close with Walter. And when I taught Bible study for, well, I got approached to teach Bible study. It was at the Warm Friend downtown. And um, a lady asked me, and she said, would you, would you consider teaching Bible study here? And I, I thought I had plenty to do. And I really, you know, I was coming up with all kinds of excuses in my head, and I knew it was an excuse, too. I knew I really just didn't want to. Because I have been with older people, and I just didn't think it was going to be too profitable. And then it's just I could feel the Lord grab me around the neck, and now I could almost hear him say, don't miss this blessing. So I said, yeah. She says, six, eight weeks, that's all. Well, that turned out to be almost four years that I taught there because it was so every Wednesday morning, 10 o'clock. And I would have a go, oh, man, we loaded that room, and they were around that table. And there was one time we were studying, and I there was a man named Walter, and he always came and he say he brought his wheelchair. I mean, <laughs> let me just tell you about my first time though. Though I got there, they're in their walkers and their wheelchairs. It took me just as long to get them seated at the table as it was for the lesson. I thought, see this one. And then I looked at him, I said, now, did you bring your Bibles? And they looked at me like, of course not. We, we hardly could get here with our walkers and our wheelchairs. And so no Bibles. And I thought, well, you know, what about a handout then? If, so you can follow something? No, we don't want that. You know, they just get stubborn. I thought, Okay. So every week I thought, all right, I'm just going to go in there with my Bible and I'm going to take verse by verse. And it was, it was just the best. And like I said, Walter came. I got to know Walter. He was just my favorite. He came and he, he sat right by me. He always, he always came early enough because he always wanted to sit right by me. And one, one, one time I was... Um, teaching and I sometimes I would just break into song because those were the, that's when I could sing better and, and I, went, I just started to sing Amazing Grace one time and I could tell just by the, the corner of my eye I could tell that Walter was trying to he was working hard at getting something out of his pocket and his one arm didn't work very good, so this was really a struggle, and I didn't want to embarrass him, but I, then finally I realized he finally achieved what he was working at, and it was his hanky. And out of the corner of my eye, I could see that he was wiping his eyes, and he was blowing his nose. And Afterwards, 
he came up to me, and you could tell he was kind of embarrassed, and he said, I don't know what happened. That song just overwhelmed me. And I said, yeah, it usually does, Walter. And he said to me, ask me what's, been, what's, the, what's the greatest day of my life. And I thought, oh, I knew I was going to hear another World War II story, and I just really didn't have the time for it. But I thought, oh, I love Walter. I said, okay, Walter, what, what's, your, what's been your greatest day? And he said to me, today. And I said, today? He said, yeah, today was the greatest day of my life. And I said, how could today be the greatest day? I mean, I look at you and your body doesn't work anymore. And I know that you've lost, you know, the, the love of your life. And because, and, uh, boy, he had told me all about that wonderful wife he is. And, and, it's, and so I said, how can today be your greatest day, because I know the loneliness you live in, know the, the body that you, that you used to be a strapping man, and now it hardly works. And this is what he said to me. Today is the greatest day, because I'm just that much closer to seeing Jesus. And that's the way Walter lived life. Not that he didn't miss his wife. Not that he wished that his body still worked. But Walter was looking toward. He had his sights. Now, he wasn't clinging and holding to this life anymore. I mean, he was to a certain... He was, he was appreciating every day that he had because he knew that every day was a gift. And he knew that every day the Lord had a purpose. But there was something about, I thought of him because when Paul says, when, when Jesus becomes more and more, now you've been made alive in Christ and he is becoming more and more, your sights start looking toward the day when you're going to see him. And he said, and picture, picture that where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Just like Isaiah, when Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. When was the last time you just stopped and shut your eyes and tried to picture that? Picture what you know. Picture what you've learned. If you've gone through Revelation, oh my goodness, you can picture the sights and the sounds of heaven. John was able to write, that's why Jesus said, John, write this down. Because I want them to be able to have a little glimpse, even though they can't possibly comprehend. I want them sometimes in the midst of their hopelessness, when they think that it's just, I want them to shut their eyes. And I want them to picture me seated on the throne, high and exalted. Set your mind and the way he says that, set your mind. In other words, you have, to, you have to make a conscientious choice. You've got to set your mind. Because, again, where does your mind naturally want to go? All about here. All about what I don't have or what I wish I had. He said, start thinking about when you know that everything is going to be perfect. Everything is going to be made right. There'll be no more sorrow, no more pain. Every tear will be wiped from your eyes. 
You will, you will have access to the new heaven and the new earth, and you'll be walking through those gates of pearl. once in a while and set your mind on what you know. That's the hope. It's not wishful thinking. We know. We're living in that prophecy now. We know. Paul says, come on. When life just seems to get you, you've been raised with Christ. You are different. You've got a whole different eyesight. You don't have to see doom and gloom all the time. Your spiritual eyes want to keep reminding you Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died. He's going back and he's trying to, okay, remember, you were supposed to have died. That old self has died. You should be seeing less and less of that. You should be loosening your grip here because DNA, everything about this, like, is what, what does John say? The old order of things are going to be gone. The way that everything that we are so used to here, it's the old order, and it's all going to be gone. So he said, for you died, and your life is now. Now, what a phrase. Did you get this? Your life is now hidden with Christ. You're hidden in Christ, in God. What does that make you feel? What does that give you a sense of? You and I, because of what we believe, because of what we know, because of what happened when we went down and came up alive, what, what, has, that, what has that done? You are safe. You talk about, you are hidden with Christ. Remember when Jesus said that there's, there's nothing or no one that can snatch you from my Father's hand. You are hidden in Christ, with Christ, in God. You're hidden with Christ, in God. Okay, now look at this. When Christ... And I don't know about you, but I hope that you underline this or start this because he says, I want to make sure you, when Christ, who is your life, he's your life. In other words, it doesn't say, and he's part of your life, or he's your Monday night life, or he's your Sunday morning life. No, he is your life. Why? Because it is no longer you that lives, it's Christ that lives in you, and you now have a new house that has been established now by the Holy Spirit and godly wisdom, and so now every part of you is changed. So when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Oh, what a day then will be. Now, I memorized this, and I'm going to quote it tonight because 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 14, or 16 to 18, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 18, and I think this is what Paul, when he wrote it to the people of Thessalonica, I think he was thinking this when he said this. 
When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Remember when he wrote this, when he said, and the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead Christ will rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, will be caught up with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And he ends that by saying, and encourage, encourage, one, another, encourage one another with those words. Because that is truth. That's going to happen. That someday, the archangel, the trump of God, Jesus, the dead of Christ will rise, then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Sounds pretty good to me. So look look where he's got us right now. Look at you're thinking on those sites and you're thinking, wow, I'm excited about that. That sounds wonderful. We could have also sung, after what a day that will be, we should have sung, but until then, (laughs) because it's not there yet, and that's why he comes back and says, okay, I want you excited, I want you looking toward that, I want you to live in that hope that it's going to happen, but until then... Make sure you, you've got work to do. You've got work on yourself to do. You've got to put to death, therefore, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Now, he's going to name a few things, but he's pretty much saying, you know what yours are. You know what wants to grab you and pull you and keep you defeated and discouraged or wants to pull you to your old self and your old way of thinking and your old maybe language or your old actions or whatever. He says, no, now, I got you looking forward to that day and he's made it all possible and that's a great way to live knowing that that's going to happen. But you just can't have it both ways. You have got to show him that you are thrilled in view of what he's done for you. This is what he expects. Put to death that old nature, the things that have pulled you off the track. It's kind of like, I'm sorry, Vaughn, to use you as an example tonight, but, you know, yeah, when you lose your power for three days, and, you know, you have those inconveniences, and then you, and then you, and then her husband, who is an invalid, and he fell. And, and so, I mean, I know the, the things of life can really get you. And what he's trying to say here is that, yeah, that's going to be until that day when all of that's going to be made perfect. Until that day, you are still going to have to go through the ups and downs of life. And you have to decide how you are going to deal with it. 
Because as you grow in the Lord, you should be starting to see a difference because your human nature, because like Jesus said, man, I started to get crabby. And why do you get crabby? It's because, you know what, I'm being inconvenienced and, and I'm having to work harder and it's just not fair. I think we've all said these things. You have a tendency to look at someone else and it looks like that and look at everything seems to just go so easy for them. And Why did I have to have a, an accident? Why did I have to lose a child? Why do I have to have a special needs child? Why do I have to have an invalid husband? I mean, I can go on and on. I'm sure. Some of us... We look at Vaughn, would think, uh, yeah, I'd been a little bit more than just crabby. But we all have something. We all have something. Whether you've had to deal with cancer, whether you've lost a child, I look at a lot of you, whether you've lost a spouse. I look at a lot of you who I know, and I know that you've gone through a lot of heavy life. And he's saying, you know what? I want you to put to death those things that want to pull you off the track, that tell you that, that he's not sufficient to still make things beautiful, to take your confusion and still make something beautiful. And then he wants to bring back words that you've learned from Romans he still wants you to know that in all things, he's working things out for good. And he keeps wanting you to know and remember that um, there's nothing that can separate you from what he's given you. That your sin's not in part, but the whole or nailed to the cross. He said, I want you to start thinking on that put to death the things that make you fall into yourself and then you watch that old character start and you watch the discouragement and the down and the defeat and he's saying, no, remember the first few verses of this chapter? Keep looking. Look, it's coming. Keep holding on. Put to death the things that are pulling you away. Now, yeah, he, he names some of these things. He says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. I mean, he started going after, he's saying, and then there's, then, then there's people that have continuously said no to me and found no victory in me and totally thought that self was sufficient and totally thought that they could just go to church on Sunday and totally not affect their lives. He said, you know what? Because of these things, and they think they can just live their life any way they want, well, this is why someday the wrath of God is coming. Now, that's a little contrast to the verses that I wrote, that I recited from 1 Thessalonians. This is the flip side. This is the opposite side. If you absolutely, says, if you are going to say no, to, to a Savior, if you're going to say no to light, new life, 
because I still want to control me and I still want to say. And so even though, yes, the, the ground is love at Calvary, nope, I think I don't, I think uh, I can know the story in that, but I think I'm mine. I don't have to surrender at all. He's, those that still try to play both sides, he said, you know what? They're going to experience the wrath of God. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all those things like anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off the old self with its practices. Every one of us can take a good look at ourselves and know what he's talking about here. What he wants to be, he's saying, I want it gone. And if you never say that, if you don't ever say that, I want to be changed. I, he says, you know what, the wrath of God, then maybe your salvation maybe wasn't even really, maybe never, maybe you weren't even serious about it. Maybe it was just words. Maybe, and that's why last week, remember, he says, so then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith. If your salvation means anything to you, he says, it's got to be worked on. It's got to be continued. You've got to keep growing. And so that you've got deeper roots. Otherwise, the simple walk, Maybe we really, he didn't take it so serious. And self just got sucked right back. And he said, you know what? The wrath of God is coming. And I'm telling you, we don't want to see the wrath of God. You know, after the seals and the trumpets and the bowls of wrath, you know, those are all going to be attention grabbers for people who have refused to accept Christ, and he's going to try everything possible, and yet there's still going to be those who say no. And the wrath of God is what we're going to see on his face when he comes back on that white horse. When he opens his mouth and everybody falls dead. No more chances, no more. The wrath of God. And he said, he's coming back for those who don't take this serious and who, who say, no, nope, I think I'm fine. I'm good enough. I'm a good person. Anybody who did not take it serious enough to take off that old self with its practices and put on the new self. Did you notice that? Which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Just think our new self can be renewed. How does our new self become renewed? It says renewed in knowledge. Every day we can be renewed in knowledge. How, how does that happen? That's right. I don't think until these last few years that I really see how important this book. It's critical. And how we just kind of are slipshod about it. I mean, I've got a, I've got a great friend who who's, who's, comes from the Catholic faith. And when I was telling her about studying 
you know, Bible study and that kind of thing. She just couldn't understand that. And, and I said, you don't know the importance of God's word? She says, well, no, no, that's not our job. That's the priest's job. The priest does, and we don't, we don't have to have it. See, so, and I don't know, that's, that's the Catholics, but I would dare say there's a lot of Protestants. I, I know. I mean, maybe some of you grew up that at mealtime you had devotions or whatever, but I, I don't think that I ever was taught I mean, when the minister said, take the, the Bibles out of the pews and turn to so-and-so, I would do it. I knew this was an important book. But then when he was done reading, I closed it and put it back in the pew. I mean, I just love it. When I look in here, every one of you has got a Bible on your lap, and there's not a one of you that shuts it until we're done. We keep going. We study every line in there because that's the whole point of this. I'm starting, and I hope you are too. You're starting to see that our new nature, no wonder our new nature wasn't being renewed. Oh, it would get, get renewed for about an hour, and then I'd put the Bible back in the view, and then I'd go back, and then my life was my own, and then, well, then I probably leaked out what I learned in that hour. So that's why he's saying you can be renewed. We can, we can be continuously renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And who is that? Capital C, the writer of the book. Who is their creation? And he wants to keep teaching us so that we will stay renewed and that our new life stays more intact so that we don't get pulled back to our old way. Again, he reminds us, this message, it's for Greek, for Gentile, it's for circumcised, the uncircumcised, the barbarian, the Scythian, the slave or free. Christ is all and is in all. Now, what does that mean that he's in all? Christ is in all. He's in, he's in all who what? Come to him. That come to him to, to the cross. Then he's in all. And how can he be in you, Pearl, and you, Mary Ellen? How can he be in you, Mary? How can he be in you, Ike? How can, how can he be in all of us? Oh, excuse me. How can Christ be in us all? Through his spirit. That's right. He says, no matter who you are, you are, Christ is all. He is all. I, I still go back when he says, he is your life. He is your all. And he is in every one of us. And that's why when the disciples are so nervous, oh, no, you can't leave us. We can't possibly do this without you. And he says, you're right, you can't. But I can't be with you, John, you, Peter. I can't. You know, I'm sending you in all in different directions. So I'm going to come back, but I will be in a different form. So you will be able to have me in you. He is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, 
there for. You are God's chosen, holy, set apart. See, we're supposed to, we're supposed to not be able to blend in. We're supposed to be so different. He's talking about priorities. He's talking about where we set our eyesight. He's talking about loosening our grip here. He's talking about being changed. He's trying to get us to not fall back to our old ways. We are new in Christ. So he says, yeah, you're set apart. You're dearly loved. And then he says, and this is what you can look like. This is what you can clothe yourself with. This is what can come out of you. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to produce in you because maybe a lot of these things, they're not easy. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing one another, forgiving whatever grievances. Do you notice what he said there? Forgive whatever grievance. In other words, there's no way you can say, yeah, but you don't know what they did. Um, it can't possibly mean it, it, it's got to have an except for because, no, it says, when you clothe yourself, when you put on, and I love the way he says clothes because every morning you have to choose your clothes. Every morning, you have to choose if you're going to put on the full armor of God. Every morning, you've got to clothe yourself. You've got to put this on. You've got to want to say, I am a new creature in Christ. I have got to wear this so that I don't look like the old me. Because of what he has done for me, this is what he expects He says, I want you to clothe yourself with compassion. I want you to clothe yourself with kindness. And you know kindness isn't just being nice. I know a lot of nice people who aren't Christians. He says, I want you to clothe yourself with that Holy Spirit kindness. And you know what that is? It's put yourself aside. Kindness is when you care for someone else and not yourself. And that's what he says. I want you to clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility. Not the false humility when it's all a really down deep, you really want all the attention to be about you. You want to say all these nice things. Oh, no, I don't really. Because you want them to say, oh, yeah, yeah, you are. What a bunch of malarkey. <laughs> false humility. Real humility is when you know you know who you are in Christ Jesus. You know you are nothing. You can't call yourself righteous without him. You know that you are absolutely nothing and you are hopeless and you are doomed and you are hellbound without him. That's humility. You clothe yourself with gentleness and that's just, that, that gentleness, that fruit of gentleness, I'll tell you, that's, even though a comes across as that gentle, it's really a strength. Gentleness is when you don't have to debate and fight and 
you are so sure. Gentleness to me is blessed assurance. Clothe yourself with that gentleness. You are so sure of who you are and that no one or nothing can take that from you. And you are sure about what's ahead. Patient. Another fruit of the Spirit. Patient. You learn how to wait on him. You wait on his timing. You wait on his will. He said, clothe yourself. Put that on. You think you won't look different? You think you won't be set apart? Holy and loved by him when you clothe yourself with the Holy Spirit compassion, the Holy Spirit kindness, the Holy Spirit humility, the Holy Spirit gentleness, the Holy Spirit patience. Yeah, bear with each other. Paul knew, Paul knew that, that we were going to run into difficult people. He knew that we were going to disagree. He knew some would be obnoxious. But he said, come on. Remember the last couple chapters he's talking about being united in unity? He says, I want you to bear with each other. I want you to forgive whatever grievance you may have against one another. He said, I want you to clothe yourself with this. And you know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say, and forgive those who ask you to forgive them. He's saying, I want you to forgive whatever grievance you may have against one another. He just says, do it. And he says, I know that's not easy, so I'm going to tell you how you do it. You simply remember how the Lord forgave you. You just remember that while you are yet a, yet a sinner, he was willing to die for you. Before you even realized you needed him, he was loving you anyway. And when you came to him with all your yuck, he just welcomed you and said, welcome home. He said, how about, how about trying that and see if that doesn't get you somewhere? And over all these virtues, put on love. And that's that unconditional, no strings attached, grace-filled, mercy-filled. He said, that's what you have to put on. Because he said, that's what binds all together in perfect unity. Do you know that you can get together? A group of Christians should be able to get together and be able to decide some pretty important decisions, like whether you're going to have green or blue carpet. And you should be able to do it with no problem. Even though some people really like green and some people really like blue. I mean, I'm using that silly little illustration, but decisions have to be made by bodies of people in churches all the time. In fact, I think that we we would have less and less denominations if we could just get together and say, you know what, why can't we agree to just have the basis 
that we're bound together in Christ's love, even though we might have differences of opinion. Why don't we call it the church? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Then the world can look at it and say, all those people that love Jesus, look at them get along. Right now they're looking at, oh, this one didn't agree, so they started that denomination. And then this one didn't agree, so they started that denomination. I went down the street a while back, and I, I saw every denomination. I saw about five denominations on one street. And I thought to myself, I wonder... If we took these verses and he said, clothe yourself, that we would stay united with the non-negotiable and the non-disputable, and we let differences, well, we just let the Lord unify us and bind us together. Let the peace of Christ, do you see how he follows that? Instead of being divided and instead of disagreements, look what he says. Instead, look what you could have. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts. Now, I know I'm not that highly educated, but I don't really think I have to be to understand. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I don't think you can have the word of Christ dwelling in you richly if you're not taking the time to learn it. How can it dwell in you? You've got to take the time to learn it and let it, what did, what did we learn in Proverbs? You've got to listen, learn, and apply it. So he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. But you've got to take the time to learn it, to listen, to make it yours. But there's so many ways. If you want to sing them, if you want to sing it, so he said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I mean, look at all the songs we sang tonight. So he said, whatever it takes, because sometimes you can't just always sit and sit and study. I mean, but you're in the, you're in the car a lot. You're, you're doing, you're vacuuming. You're, um, you know, you've got a lot of other things. Try filling your mind. Try singing the song while you're vacuuming. Try in the course of your day to let a song just follow through. That's why he said, let the word of Christ dwell in you. Keep letting it go, go over in your mind. Keep remembering, oh, that's right, he's walking with me today, and he's talking with me today, and boy, this is a difficult day, but I'm his own. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then he says, wives, submit your, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, you love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. 
But there again, he puts this at the end of this. After, look at what he says. If you clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and you're bearing with one another, forgiving whatever grievances you have, guess what? I don't, I think you just follow suit. Wives will submit to husbands. Husbands will love their wives. And children will obey their parents. I know you're thinking, oh yeah, in a perfect world. Yeah, if we followed his truth, guess what? We'd do it. That's right. It would happen. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. You know, there's a fine line balance, isn't there, between, because I think I've watched sometimes parents flip the other way and because they're so afraid of embittering their children, not that the kids don't get discouraged, that all they tell them is they do wonderful things. That's all they do is great things. Everybody's a winner. No, sometimes you lose. What? You know? So I think there is a flip. So what's the balance between? How do you, what is he? You got to be firm. We've heard that in the Proverbs. But yet not in bitter. What do you think you have a Holy Spirit for? What do you think the Holy Spirit is there for? He will show us how to do it. He will show us the tone and the words to use. He will show us the right balance. When you are clothed with him, when you are allowing, when old self is dead and new self is living according to God's spirit and you have a desire because you are continuing to get your roots and you are continuing to work at this because you are being renewed in his knowledge because you're working at this every day. I think he's saying, you're going to see results. Slaves obey your earthly masters and everything. I think, I think for me it's an easy way to say employees obey your bosses. And do it not only when their eyes on you, because you you wanna you know you wanna work up the position you wanna raise or whatever. So when the boss is watching you just turn it on. What does Paul say? Then it's really all about who? And there you go again. But what a difference, the new you. But you do it with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord, and whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. A whole different frame of mind. I'll never forget being in an airport one time. And there was the sweetest. She was humming. She was humming. She was cleaning those bathrooms. Can you imagine cleaning bathrooms at an airport? And this lady was just a humming. And she just was saying hello to people. And I looked at her. And I said to her, thanks. Thanks for doing your job. She says, as to the Lord. I haven't thought about her in a long time. I was doing this lesson this week. I, the Lord brought her back to my mind. It was her call. It was her choice. Take whatever job. 
And she just chose to say, you know what? Because, I mean, humanly, that old self would have said, ugh. But the new self is saying, this lady's being renewed every day through God's word. There's just no other way I can say it. Because when I said thank you, and out of her mouth said, as to the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. You know, the more I thought about that woman this week, I pictured, because remember it says we're all going to stand before the Lord and give an account. Remember, we, we went there. The Lord's going to look at her and said, oh, boy, did I give you a stinking job. And you did it. You did it for me. And to be able to, to know that the Lord is going to say to her, well done. You know, I know we look at Billy Graham, and we all said, boy, he's going to hear well done. And that's true, and I don't want to take anything away from him. But that lady's going to stand in front of the Lord someday, and, he's going to, and, he, and the Lord's going to say the same thing to her as he says to Billy. Because, because she did her work for the Lord just as much. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong. I mean, you, so you can either get your reward, because we know we've learned that someday the way we handle our life and the way we we put aside some of the hardships that we think aren't fair. And we do it as unto the Lord. Paul says, just remember, your reward is coming. But if you fall into that sonicky, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong. And there is no favoritism. In other words, he says, I don't care who you are. I don't care who you are. If you didn't do it, yeah, but look how far I worked up the ladder. Or, or, no, see, I don't care who you are. There's only two roads. You do it for me, you get a reward. You don't do it for me, I don't care what it is. You don't. There is no favoritism. And look, it closes with this. What, what a thought. Because masters, I don't care who you are, I don't care you're of a president of what, provide your slaves, your employees, with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. He closes by, he kind of puts us all in our place. He says, no matter who you are, you always have someone above you. And if we can live our life knowing who's above them, who's, who's above us, and who's watching us, and who's supplying everything we need, who's going to reward us, who's right now preparing a place for us, for us, if we can keep our eyes on that, Somehow all this stuff here just stays in its proper place. He says, live in this abundant life. It's a great way to live. Have a good week.